The Playful Psychologist podcast is hosted by me, Emily Hanlon, a clinical psychologist who primarily works with children and adolescents. This podcast has been designed to offer support to new psychologists who may feel as though they are drowning in uncertainty. It has also been designed to inform and educate parents and teachers on all things child development. Along with some special guests, I explore different aspects of child development, including developmental disorders and emotional regulation, while also advocating for those who may be falling through the cracks in our current system. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Playful Psychology podcast. Now, I know that there's been a bit of a theme, you know, we spoke about introducing new siblings. Now we're going to be talking about going on maternity leave, but I wanted to just let you know that this is probably the last episode around working with kids or introducing siblings or anything like that. And also I'm only sharing these episodes um, and this information with you guys because it's topics that you guys suggested or requested. Um, So yeah, I didn't want you to think this was turning into like a parenting podcast by any stretch of the imagination, just in case you are listening to this and you don't have kids. So um, let's chat about going on maternity leave because that is one that came up quite a bit. Now, anything, most of what I'm talking about today can be for any type of leave you take, whether it be you're moving jobs, whether it be you're going on an extended holiday, anything like that doesn't necessarily, I think you can take something away from it, even if you're going on that type of leave and not necessarily maternity leave, but there is going to be um, some helpful info specifically related to going on mat leave as well. So when I first found out that I was pregnant with Luca, which was like four years ago now, I was obviously excited and over the moon, but I was trying to navigate extreme morning sickness, which I later um, found out was hyperemesis, while also keeping that pregnancy quiet in my first trimester. And that was really, really challenging. I was in the clinic three and a half days a week. It was a lot. And during those first 19 weeks, I was so unwell that in between clients, I had an ice pack on my head. I was taking anti-nausea medication. I had salty crackers. My mum was dropping off like blue Powerades and ginger ale and all that sort of stuff. So it was a real, it was a lot to juggle, but by far the trickiest part of being a pregnant psychologist for me was informing the families that I work with that I was going to be going on leave. Now, don't get me wrong. 99% of my families were so happy for me and they, you know, some of them even bought me little baby gifts and that sort of thing, which was lovely. However, as anyone who has changed jobs in their allied health profession knows um, or has gone on extended leave knows, knows transitioning your clients to your colleagues is a really complex and tricky experience. So I wanted to show you how I navigated this. I've done it twice now um, and, you know, the stages that I go through. So I go through four stages of helping my clients transition. And the first stage is telling parents. So you guys know that I um, work with children predominantly. Um, So I was my first stage is is telling the parents that I'm going on leave. And I was actually quite anxious to tell the families I work with. Um, and that actually, that anxiety turned out to be 
completely unnecessary just goes to show that I need to take my own advice on worrying once in a while um, I told the parents of my younger clients prior to actually telling my clients for me personally this just felt more appropriate for my older clients it varied depending on their capacity um, and I made the decision kind of on a case-by-case -case basis whether to tell them or their parents um sorry, them with their parents present or tell their parents first. So before telling clients and families, my number one piece of advice is to try and have all the answers to your questions that you anticipate that they may ask. So, and obviously stuff that you feel comfortable sharing. So I anticipated that my clients would ask me roughly some variation of the following five questions. When are you due? When are you going on leave? Are you coming back? How long are you going on leave for? Do you have anyone here you would recommend that we see? So I had answers ready for all of these questions, which in my opinion, just showed my clients and their families that I genuinely considered their interests and their well-being in the situation and not just my own. Um, so yeah, that, that can be a good way to go about things. Now, because no one really knows what the future holds, um, you can just answer the questions with as much detail as you wish to share. So for me, it was like, if someone was like, when are you due? I would say something like, oh, May 25th is my due date, but I guess the baby will let me know when he's ready. Or late May is the due date, but I guess the baby will let me know when he's ready. When are you going on leave? Oh, I'm planning on going leave on, you know, the 5th of April, but I'll organize handovers well before that. So I'm still around for a week or two to help figure out any issues that may arise. Are you coming back? That's most definitely my plan right now. Obviously, I don't have a magic ball, um, but that's definitely the plan for me to come back. How long are you going on leave for? I'm planning on coming back in early, you know, January, but it will all depend on how both myself and the baby are traveling. And I will make sure that admin lets you know and keeps you in the loop if anything was to change. Do you have anyone here we would recommend? My job for the next month is to sit and match my clients with our clinicians. Everyone who works here are really awesome at their jobs. And I just want to make sure that I can match clients with clinicians who I think they're going to connect with. As soon as I have more of a plan, I promise you, you guys will be the first to know. So for telling, for me, um, telling parents was relatively simple. Like I said, most families were very happy for me. And the first questions that they would ask me is, how have you been feeling? And that sort of thing. Some of the families I work with who had children who were autistic or had more complex disabilities were understandably a bit nervous about how their children would cope with such a big change in their routine. But this is where I would assure family that we would take as much time as we needed with the handover. But on that note, I do think it's important to remember that if any parent does have some reservations or seems stressed or anxious or disappointed, that's not a reflection of you. There's not you having a baby has is is a beautiful thing. And that has nothing, you know, doesn't make you any less of a clinician. Um, a lot of families just anticipate that it's going to mean a lot of change and stress for them. And that's where that comes from. It doesn't reflect poorly on you at all. So that would be stage one, telling parents. Stage two for me is telling my clients. So most of my clients were extremely excited about the fact that I had a baby in my belly. Like I said, I predominantly work with kids. They wanted to know whether it was going to be a boy or a girl and would ask if they could touch my belly. For younger clients under 10, I would praise them for asking permission first and then I would let them. That's a completely personal decision um, for me. I was okay with that. If you are not, then you know, you can come up with a line about boundaries there. That's totally fine. Um, and I, cause I completely understand that not everyone's comfortable 
you know, making that decision. So if you aren't comfortable, you can just say something like, you know, the baby isn't actually moving yet, so there's nothing to feel. You could say something like that, so it's not rupturing the rapport or anything. Um, but you could say, but hey, how about we draw a picture of what you think the baby's going to look like? So this is a script I'd use for someone that may be a bit older with, um, you know, high need disabilities if I didn't feel comfortable um, having them touch me because um, I didn't want them thinking it was okay to do this to women in the community quite frankly um, who may not feel comfortable and I wanted to make sure that we were still you know staying true to our therapeutic goals and values so yeah I think that's one that you just have to take with a grain of salt and use your clinical judgment there but when telling clients I think it's really important to tell them that you'll need to take some time off to look after the baby um, some clients have taken this really well while others have asked why my husband can't be the one to stay home and watch the baby. Good question. Um, a couple of my older disability clients have been a little bit upset and have said things like, you're just leaving me like everyone else. And this is really tricky as unfortunately in the disability sector, there is a lot of staff turnover with regards to support workers or day program staff or allied health professionals. Um, so sadly, this is something that these clients do deal with frequently. So for me personally, I have found that um, it's helped to emphasize that I'm not leaving, but I'm going on leave and having a discussion and exploring what that actually means um, for them, for me, for the workplace and that sort of thing. So I'm not going away. I'm just taking a step back to have the baby. Um, but regardless of their reaction, taking time to talk through the process and acknowledging their worries is a really, really important part of the whole process. So for me, stage three is including clients in the transfer process and also the process of me going on leave. So for those of you who follow me on Instagram, you have you may have seen that I created a name suggestion list. I kept it on my whiteboard in my clinic room and encouraged my clients to leave name suggestions. So just a disclaimer here, you will get some absolute rippers, um, some really outrageous and hilarious suggestions, but it, it is a really fun way to include them in the process. Um, so like I said, like you just put it there and they can, every time they come in, they can pop a suggestion on the board. And so most of the time they would like, it, there was a lot of Elsa's um, and Kristoff's. There was a lot of Hulk and Spider-Man. And then there were a lot of kids who generously put forward their own names. So it's just a fun little way to include them in the process and also remind them that you're not leaving because of them. You're leaving because you're having a baby. Um, so that's really important. Another way I've included clients in the process is I had a little poster up in the office showing what kind a fruit or what size of fruit the baby was each week. Someone gifted me that when I fell pregnant with Luca and my clients seemed to find that really fascinating and funny at the same time. Like what? There's like a pineapple in your stomach. That's nuts. And <laughs> that sort of thing. So that's another way you can go about it. I found that once I had taken time to match my clients to clinicians, I made sure I did the handovers with all clinicians. So please note here it is really important not to tell the client the name of the clinician you have suggested until you've run the case by the clinician and they agree that they feel that it's a suitable match for them. This also kind of gives me an opportunity to let the clinician know anything specific that the client may need in the session. So, you know, like, oh, so-and-so needs a visual schedule or so-and-so loves to look in the prize box or so-and-so needs these items in the sensory box and so on. So just having those really detailed handovers. And once those handovers are complete, I can inform the families of my choice and then encourage them to read the clinician's profile on our website um, 
Also double check that the times available in the clinician's calendar are appropriate for the client. So to run that by admin with the parents. And it's only then after all of that, that I will talk to my client about the clinician I've chosen. So I may show them photos from the website or give them like five cool predetermined and approved facts about the clinician that I think will help develop rapport. Um, so yeah, I think that's important because you don't want to say, oh, you're going to be seeing Mike. Um, Mike's really cool. You'll love him. He's a really cool psychologist. And then it doesn't work for whatever reason. There's a schedule clash or Mike doesn't feel like it's an appropriate fit, whatever. And then you have to go, actually, you're not seeing Mike, you're seeing Jess. And they're like, but you told like, why didn't Mike want to see me? It can be a bit of a spiral. So yeah, you just want to be mindful of that for sure. And then I guess that leads me to stage four, which is handing over my clients properly. So it's not always possible um, to be present for the handovers because I obviously work different days to some of the clinicians that I was handing over to. But where possible, I've really made an effort to try and introduce my clients to their new therapist while I was in session. So whether that means they came in for like five minutes um, during one of our sessions or, or I you know, th their first session was a shorter one and I was present for the whole thing, um, something like that. Um, yeah, I've just tried to be kind of present for it where possible. Um, even on Zoom, I'll just invite them into the Zoom for like five minutes if, if that's the only way that it's been able to work. So for example, I may tell the client, like I said, that a new therapist is coming in and is going to spend a few minutes um, with us and I'll spend a few minutes discussing that with them and then I'll bring the new clinician in and they'll just send 10 minutes with all of us in the room and and if it's going really well, I'll say something like, you know, um, Mike is really good at Uno. He's actually the Uno king. How about I step out for a second? You guys can play a game so he can show you how epic he is and, and you, you can see if you can beat him. Um, and if it's going well, then I'll just step out and give them some time. And then when I go back in, the new clinician, if there is time, may spend five minutes with the parents quickly introducing themselves. So then I'll go back in with the child and the new clinician will go yeah, just spend five minutes with the parents or just say hello in the waiting room, whatever everyone has time for. Um, so yeah, if a face-to-face -face handover is possible, I just encourage a new therapist to take as much time rapport building as possible while I am still around so I can facilitate that and just help with any issues that may come up. And you know what? There's not always issues, but sometimes there are, and it can be really helpful if you are there because you know the child or the family better than they will at that point. And one thing I have done as well, which I didn't do as much with when I went on leave with Luca, um, but I've done, I did a lot more when I went on leave with Elliot, is to have a backup plan for every client. So as you would all, I'm sure, be aware, not every clinician is going to be a good match for every client, and that's okay. Like a lot of work goes into trying to match people, but sometimes it just doesn't work. It's no one's fault. It's just the way it is. Or someone else might go and leave, or someone else might quit, um, or be having a baby, whatever. So by having a bit of a backup plan, you're able to quickly resolve any issues that may arise with very minimal stress or before the baby is even born. So I've also made sure to leave that list with admin so that if issues arise after I'm already on leave, there's a plan for everyone to follow and no one has to contact me. So for example, um, let's say the clinician that I suggested for someone's schedule change and they can no longer see the client at four o'clock on a Friday and that's the only time the client can do, they can let admin know. Admin can look at my notes and say, okay, the next clinician that Emily suggested might be a good fit is Harry <laughs> and then they know that they can book in with Harry and my handover notes will be on the 
client's file and that sort of thing. So yeah, it just makes it easier to have a rough list of a backup plan that admin can have access to just in case something, you know, falls apart. So as you can see, it is a very lengthy process. When I went on leave with Luca, I had 59 clients on my caseload. So organizing their transfers was no easy feat, but it's such an important thing to consider when you're going on leave for both myself and my clients. And I just really encourage you to kind of go through the same process and see what works for you. Um, but yeah, they're my four steps. So just to summarize there, telling parents and being prepared for that conversation, telling clients, including clients in the transfer process and officially handing over clients. If you have any questions about any of that, you can always DM me on Instagram or email me theplayfulpsychologist at gmail.com. Have a great day. See ya.